Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Golfing Greenkeeper podcast. My name is Steve Smith, and I am your host. Got something special for you. It's another segment of Colin Campbell Chemicals, Keeper of the Greens. We're going to a wonderful part of Australia in this episode. Come and join with me. This is episode number 63. I'm extremely proud to bring to you Keeper of the Greens once again, which is brought to you by Colin Campbell Chemicals. Colin Campbell Chemicals is a 100% Australian-owned and operated company that is a leading supplier of crop protection products for the needs of the turf and broader horticultural industries right across Australia. Not only are Colin Campbell Chemicals Australian-owned and operated, in 2020, they celebrated 80 years of being in business since their inception by Colin Campbell Sr., back in 1940 in Alexandria, Sydney. Colin Campbell Chemicals has always had a focus on developing new technologies and bringing solutions to the turf industry. Their product range is a testament to their continued focus into their 82nd year of business as a wholly Australian-owned and operated company, with some of those products being produced right here in Australia. If you want to know more about how Colin Campbell Chemicals can help protect your turf, then you need to go to their website at campbellchemicals.com.au or talk to Nadim directly, whose details are on the website website under the Contact Us page. And don't forget to tell them that the Golfing Greenkeeper sent you. Ladies and gentlemen, I welcome you once again to Keeper of the Greens. It's such an exciting segment of mine that I really love doing. And look, we stand there and stare at a map of Australia as a dartboard, and we're going to throw one which is going to land somewhere around the number 18, I think, or even number 4 up in the top right corner of the dartboard. Yes, we are staying in the state of Queensland, the Sunshine State, heading right up to the north end of town onto a small island offshore. We're going to a special part of the world, and it's to Hamilton Island. Island Golf Club, where I have on the line Superintendent Brad Hull. G'day, Brad. How you doing, mate? G'day, Steve. I'm very well, thank you. Mate, thank you so much for being part of this one. You are working at a very special golf course in Australia, certainly I think a special golf course in the world, if I do say so myself, and I probably can say that as uh, as I'm not attached to the place like you are, mate, but it's a it's a pretty incredible part of the world to, uh, to work at. You know, I imagine it's a bit of a, a dream, is it, every day to wake up on an island? Mate, it is. I do pinch myself. Um, I mean, the wet Sundays is, you know, it's, it's gorgeous, absolutely spectacular. Uh, and, the, yeah, the fact that they put a golf course in the middle of it, well, yeah. Wow. Well, um, it's pretty, it's pretty we're, special. We're going to learn about that along the way, and it is very special. I, I, I absolutely, And one of the things that I'm really excited about having you on, mate, and, um, you know, we, we've touched on in the past, we know each other a little bit. You've been kind enough to show me around in the times that I've visited up there, and I've been there, fortunate to be there a few times, mate. And it's something we don't often hear hear about you guys maybe it's because you're a bit more of a resort destination golf course than a well-established historical golf course I don't know but we we apart from pretty pictures and and highlights of a a beautiful part of the planet we don't often hear a lot about Hamo which probably disappoints me a little bit I'll be honest I love the place it is a special place, yeah, and I, I, I guess it's you know a tourist destination, and it's more about the the the, you know, the tourism than than golf specifically. Perhaps um, you know we'd like to change that. We think it's a wonderful golf destination, and we're yeah. starting to see more more people and groups come up here just for golf and and not visit the reef or um, 
So yeah, look, things might might change now that we're we're a bit maturing and uh, yes. we're getting out there a bit more. No, absolutely, mate. Well, look, let's let's learn about all that very very shortly. And I'm going to start off with Steve's Super Seven questions, which you haven't been part of the podcast, mate. I don't know. If, I don't even know if you're a listener. Are you a listener of the podcast? Not yet. I certainly will be. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff, mate. So look, let's start off with Steve's Super Seven questions. Quick, short fire answers. Are you ready to go? Right. Okay. Sunrise or sunset. Sunrise. Number two, dogs or no... Well, this is probably a weird one for you guys. Oh. I don't know. Dogs or no dogs allowed on the golf course? No dogs allowed. No dogs allowed. Do you have a personal preference on that? Uh, it's a national park. Oh, that, so, hey, yeah. that's I didn't even know. There you go. I'm already learning. We're already learning as listeners. I love it. <laughs> I love it. It's great. All right, number I wish, three. I wish we, could, wish we could sneak a dog on. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Right. I... Yeah, that's got me thinking already. Wow, there you go. Okay, number three, stripes or no stripes on fairways? Stripes. Stripes. Okay, good stuff. Now, number four, after a golf shot, do you prefer people to replace their divot or put sand down? Uh, sand. Okay. Is that is that because you're, you're cooch predominantly up there? On the, all the fairways are cooch, I'm pretty sure, aren't they? Uh, cooch, yes. Yep. Is that what it is? Is that the sand works better? Yeah, and the yeah the, the the divots end up sort of back out of the divot again. Um, <laughs> so we use a nice green sand, and yeah, it looks looks a bit neater. Okay, very good, very good. Now number five, your favourite grass variety. Now this is a, a green keeping personal question. It doesn't have to be what you use there. It's just your own personal favourite. Oh, I'm an old fan of the Pancross Bent. Oh, okay. I haven't had that answer before. Very good. Mm. Have you got any experience from that one? And maybe we'll get into that a little bit later. Yeah, Sanctuary Cove many, many years ago. Okay, very good. We'll hold that thought. We'll we'll, we'll get back to that one. We'll put that in the bank for now. Number right. six, favourite bunkers. Kingston Heath, it's a multiple choice. Kingston Heath, Royal Adelaide or the bright white of the Australian Golf Club in Sydney? Bright white of the Australian. Oh, nice. Very nice. And number seven, mate, to finish off, if you could visit one golf course anywhere in the world tomorrow, which one would it be? And you can't say Hamilton Island Golf Club. <laughs> oh, look, watching watching Cameron come home, I'd say St Andrews. Oh, wasn't that special? My goodness, yeah. didn't we all love yeah. that? If anyone didn't, if you're a golf fan, you didn't get up in the morning to watch that, you certainly missed out. I it will say. It was very that. special. Yeah. Absolutely. And, yeah, you're right, mate. Just watching that telecast and watching the golf course, doesn't it make you want to go there in a hurry? It's it awesome. Absolutely, mate. Well, thank you very much. That's Steve Super 7. All done. Good, uh, good, interesting answers, and we like to compare as we listen to different interviews with different superintendents about their thoughts, mate. So thank you very much okay. for doing that. Now, let's get involved in your story, Brad. Let's, let's learn at the early days, the beginnings of your greenkeeping career. Why don't you take us away with sort of how you got into, the, uh, into the field of greenkeeping? Is it something you started when you were very young? Is it come through golf? Did you fall in it by accident, tripping over a mower or something? What, how did you get into greenkeeping, mate? Tell us all. Uh, look, I, I guess by accident, um, I, I, I wanted to be a skipper, funny enough, and work on, on boats, love sailing uh, as a young fellow. Wow, okay. Um, no grass or boats. No grass, <laughs> no. Um, and I had a, a couple of good friends that went missing on a yacht. Um, back in the 80s, um, 
a yacht called the Patanella. It's still Australia's biggest maritime mystery. What what happened to that boat? Well, actually, and are we are we talking like a, some a disaster that went missing and never to be heard of again? Are we serious? Yeah, serious. No wreckage. Nothing found. A sixty five foot steel hull yacht oh uh, went missing off off Sydney. Uh, four people on board, and I, I was actually putting up posters around marinas. Uh, have you seen this boat? Um, and I went to Sanctuary Cove Marina and I was putting a poster up on their, their notice board at the marina and there was a, a little sign looking for a um, assistant harbour master. And uh, I applied for that job. I didn't get that job, but they offered me um, work labouring on the, the Pines Golf Course there that they were building. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, definitely fell into a, a, golf, uh, a golf job. Um, so I started under Doug Robinson on the, the Pines course there and, and fell in love with it. Wow. So did you grow up on the Gold Coast or Brisbane or where, whereabouts are you from growing up? Um, born Tari. Okay. In North Coast of New was, South Wales, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And when I was 12, moved to the Gold Coast. Okay. And um, yeah, went through went through school there and uh, yeah. So, and never, yeah, look. So, no, no, mate, I was just going to say, so how old were you when you got into, you were looking for work? Is that leaving school age? What are we talking? No, I'd, I'd sort of backpacked and, and travelled around for um, uh, just a couple of years after after leaving school, okay. working on some on some boats and trying to get sea time up to do skipper's tickets. Right. And, um, yeah, and then what, what happened to my friends was sort of threw me a little bit and when the, um, yeah, when I, uh, I, that's when I thought I'll, I'll work at a marina rather than sort of sailing than out on the um, out on the ocean yeah, that's yeah. A, well, i've never heard anything i've never i don't know anyone who's ever said a story that that must have been devastating uh, yeah it was and just the fact seeing what it did to their family um you know they never knew the outcome or what had happened wow um, that's just wow yeah, quite incredible the patinella yeah okay um, so yeah because of that i'm uh and uh, I actually worked with those fellows on uh, on a, a boat up here on the Whit Sundays, um, yeah, not long before it happened. And wow. uh, so I sort of fell in love with the Whit Sundays and Airlie Beach um, then. Um, so that, that was kind of another draw card to get me back up here. Nice long association up there, mate. <laughs> well, yeah, very much so. <laughs> <laughs> very good. So you, you're doing some work at the Pines. What a great – was this when it was being built? I don't know a lot of the history yep. of Sanctuary Cove. Yeah, Sanctuary Cove, they had the Palms course that was up and running. Okay. And the, the Pines was an uh, uh, Arnold Palmer design course. Yes. Um, and a beautiful Pancross Bent Greens we put in. Okay, so that's um, where the love we, affair starts from. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and uh, yeah, loved it. Sanctuary Cove was a great place to work and had a good team there. Yep. Um, so I was there, yeah, did my apprenticeship um, and stayed on, uh, I guess, about six years. Um, and at that time, yeah, golf was taking off in Asia. Um, a lot of the greenkeepers were were moving overseas. Yes. And um, so yeah, so I sort of finished up um, early '95 um, and ended up in Phuket, Thailand. Wow, what a leap! Um, loved that. I was like 26 then. Um, and got my first yeah, supers gig in Thailand. Wow! So you um, so you did your time. You completed time. Were you a, did you do a, become assistant at Sanctuary Co before you went and took the role on it as a superintendent over in Thailand? No, not really. Just a just a, a greenkeeper. Wow, that's um, a that's was, a hell of a launch. It it was a big leap. There was a, an American guy looking for 
um, a young superintendent and uh, a general manager for the club over there. Um, and they, they were, I guess they were looking for, yeah, people that, that would would, um, would fit in with the lifestyle. It wasn't sort of an easy gig back then in Thailand. Sure. Um, it certainly, Phuket matured into a you know, wonderful destination and we, we had a ball over there. Wow. Um, um, so, yeah, I think I fitted the bill more than the, the experience side of it. Okay, okay. Um, I've done, done a little bit of traveling, like sort of adventures, so to speak. There you go. Right. That, that's mm. really interesting. I'm curious a little bit. I might just step back a touch there because I you mentioned Pencross Bent Grass at Sanctuary Cove at the Pines. And yep. I'm hearing, like, as it stands now that I'm aware of, in nearly all the golf courses and the Gold Coast and North are cooch greens, except they for are. the Glades. Which yep. I'm a, I have a love affair with the Glades. I just not long ago did a, a uh, the last episode of Keeper of the Greens was, was with Glenn Gibson Smith at the Glades, and right. uh, and I'm a big fan of the bent grass greens because it reminds me of Sydney golf and Melbourne golf. Yeah, and I've heard that Arundel Hills in its early days was bent grass from uh, mm-hmm. another Keeper of the Greens that I did. I think it was Mick Pascoe. And now you're right. mentioning that the that the Pines was bent grass greens at the Gold. These are all Gold Coast. Yes. They've all slowly transitioned to cooch. Yeah, they have. It, um, and obviously, and course, it's difficult dealing with bent grass in high humidity and those temperatures that you get around that region, Queensland and north. Is yeah, that very much really so. what, what that basis is all about? Just a, a sort of an easier existence, do you think? Is that what that, yeah, that comes from? I, I think so. Definitely an easier existence. I mean, we um, when the greens there were, were good, they were fabulous. Um, but we did battle with the, the weather and the heat, um, a lot of syringing, um, you know, a lot of disease pressure. Um, we had fans on, uh, I think, three of the greens there. We had weather wow. stations out on the course, had misting sprinklers, all sorts of things. But um, it, was a, it was a battle. And I was devastated when I heard they were swapping them over. It wasn't long after I'd left. Yeah, right. Okay. And, um, and I, you know, I thought they were taking the easy option out, but after I, I went back when they were cooch greens and, and they were spectacular and I, I did realise it was the right decision probably. Yeah, well, there you go. And I know Paul McLean, who's superintendent there, now mm-hmm. has uh, just recently redone all the greens on uh, on the Pines course with Tiff, I think it's Tiff Eagle. I don't want to get Tiff it wrong, Eagle, but I'm pretty so. sure it's yeah. Tiff Eagle. And they look sensational. I was up there when they were growing yeah. them in and they just look good then. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, that's uh, yeah. It hurt at the time, but I think it was the right decision. There you go. Okay, mate. So let's go to, to back to back to Phuket in time. So you you're over there, young superintendent. What was it like holding the reins of a golf course as a superintendent, young man, first time, different country, different culture. You obviously travelled a bit, so you probably it's not too uncomfortable. But still, what mm-hmm. was the workforce? Were they were, were they Thai people majority? I imagine yeah. they were. How did how yeah, did that they work? Were all all Thai, um, about, I think, 57 when I arrived. Um, and I worked for a, an American chap who, who bounced between America and Thailand. And um, his experience and, and sort of grounding, you know, helped me a, a lot. Um, yeah, but look, it certainly was different. It, it yeah. Was, yeah. <laughs> I bet it was. I bet it, was. It, it was a big learning curve. But so was I it a build? Just having some good... Uh, no, it, it was um, just a, a maintenance. Okay, um, so the golf course was already there. You were stepping yeah. into the role. In stepping into the role, actually, yeah, there was a, another Australian guy before me, Danny Potter, um, and he'd moved within the company to another course that they were building in Indonesia. Wow. And um, so, yeah, I was just taking over the maintenance role. Yeah. Little, yeah. Did you enjoy <laughs> that? 
Loved it. Loved it immensely. Originally, we went thinking I'd only been married six months, uh, actually six weeks before we went over. So, yeah, it was lots of changes in life at that stage. But um, and yeah, look, it was an adventure. Uh, we were hoping to save a little bit of money. Yeah, no, it, it was terrific. We originally gave it two years. I ended up spending 10 years there. 10 years? Um, mm, so, yeah, we, we definitely, you know, it got easier and, you know, by six, 12, six to 12 months into it, um, yeah, you'd have to drag me out kicking and screaming. It was fabulous. <laughs> what a great, what a great turn. You'd gone there with a short term in mind mm. and ended up sticking at 10, and it was on the same golf course, I take it? Same golf course, and uh, later down the track, I uh, I took on the course in Indonesia as well. Um, so wow. I was bouncing between the two. Oh, um, so you were overseeing two golf courses? Yep. Wow. Um, and that was more of a, a consulting role. We had a Malaysian superintendent in Indonesia, and, and he was doing a good job there. Um, so I'd go over for four days a month um, and just help him with you know budgets and um, you know, pushing for new equipment and projects. Um, That's incredible. So that was, yeah. Was it? Um, I, I'm curious. I, I'm not a, an overseas travelled person. I've I've been. I don't. I like. I don't like to say that New Zealand's not overseas. It's, it's just next door. But it's it's. It, that's my extent of overseas travel. But I'm curious between Thailand and Indonesia. Mm-hmm. Uh, are they two quite different golf courses? Is the climate just hot and humid? I, I don't know what it's like. What is that like? Can you tell us? Similar, um, yeah, hot and hot and humid. Um, the climates between the two were very similar. Um, I say Indonesia; it's an island off Singapore, so it wasn't too far away. Okay, and that was on on Bintan. Um, so yeah, growing uh, similar growing conditions, uh, different grasses, but you know same principles yep. and, and very similar weather. Um, two different cultures, quite different to work with. The Thais and the okay. Indonesians, both you know lovely people. Um, yeah, I had a ball. Wow, what a great mm. time of your career. Yeah, it I, was. Yeah, it I, was. I don't, I don't know a lot of your backstory, so I'm learning this as much as everyone listening. I love to say that I, I do that because it, it really gets me excited listening to the story. So I only know you from Hamo, but hearing yeah. this 10-year, you know, overseas work in in Asia is quite interesting. And we know that there's so many. Like you talked about Asia booming when you went in the mid '90s over that way, or sorry, yes. working from um, Sanctuary Cove and, and other guys were moving around. We know that still Asia is quite a booming golf destination. Certainly Vietnam at the moment and, and places yeah, like that. We know of architects are going there, and and yep. it's just it really and is continuing. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, what? And there's so much going. On. I I didn't realize it started from those days back then. Yes, yeah, um, quite remarkable. Yeah. Definitely. I think, yeah, Indonesia, Thailand, they were quite early on in the piece compared to some other places, Malaysia. Um, But, you know, beautiful golf courses. You've got big crews so you can uh, can manicure everything. Um, It's very different um, maintaining a course with – you know, 57 staff or, you know, some courses have 200 staff. Really? Um, That's an an army. That's a small village. Yeah, we got um, villages in Australia that aren't anywhere near that big. <laughs> a couple of places over there, they'll they'll build the course, and a, a part of the deal is you have to employ so many of the of the, the local villagers. So um, okay. you'll have them. They'll you'll sweep fairways and things like that by oh, hand. Wow, getting clippings and so it, it's a very different beast. Um, wow, and you manage yeah your management skills are uh, are very different. Um, I bet they are. Yeah, but it's rewarding as well. But uh, it doesn't suit everyone. Um, 
you've got to be quite patient, I think. And and as I said, I had some good advice when I first got there, just about being patient. You know, don't yep. try and change Thailand to to work like Australians. Sure. Um, and once you learn some um, some of their culture and and respect, you know, you go with them and you go with the flow. Yeah. Wow. Um, and, and, yeah, rather than try and battle it, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, I suppose you've got to learn there. Well, you, you're doing it over there. So you, and it's yep. it's a flavour. It's a, it's a it's a Thai golf flavour. It's an Indonesian golf flavour. Mm. It's, it's part of the attraction, I imagine, as well, is that you're not going over there to experience Australian golf. You're going yeah, over right. there to, to as as a as a person as a visitor. It's in their country. You're trying to you know manage a team, yes. but but as a visitor yep. playing golf, you're visiting there to experience golf there. Yeah, to see that's what that's right. like. How, know, and, go on. Mm-hmm. No, I was going to say, you know, with the, the caddies over there and that, that high level of service, um, yeah, it is quite different. You know, you can't really afford to do that in, in Australia um, with that, that level of, of, yeah. uh, of, of detail and staff. So, um, yeah, that's no, a good place to experience. Can, can I ask a question in that mm-hmm. was it is, – is golf something that, the, that is picked up by the local – people by when when golf gets introduced there and and i don't know if any of those regions have other golf courses by the time those ones are or are they the only golf courses there do they pick it up is it just a form of work or do they get into it and, and want to learn more about it and they do it's um it, funny enough over there uh, golf's expensive yep. um so for for the thai people you have to be be very well off to be playing golf um but with you know the, the staff loved it they'd pick up a club and and uh you know, and have a swing, and would have a few few fun events like that. But to to get into golf and play seriously over there, um, yeah, it's more for the wealthy, that's for sure. Right. So it's not an accessible sport. Like even we try to make sure here in Australia, there's there's lots of as much as possible public access golf for mm. people to go down there and pay twenty bucks or whatever it might be, and and get around a golf over in a lot of the places that you've experienced there with your work. Yep. It wasn't it wasn't about that. It was destination holiday for Westerners. As I imagine, or even yeah. or even Asian people, people yeah. from the region. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay. Um, I, look, I don't know if it's changed. It'd be uh, be nice to think since I came back that it uh, it has changed and it's a bit more accessible for everyone. Um, but yeah, the, the the places that that are involved with were um, yeah, definitely sort of resort courses and okay. Um, yeah, interesting. Very interesting, mate. So, where did life take you after you were overseeing the two courses? Um, then I, I took on some landscaping duties at the hotels and then to be honest, it, it was probably getting a, a, a bit much. I, I was spread a bit thin and probably doing sort of four rolls poorly rather than, you know, one well. Yep. Um, but you know, I had two kids over there. Uh, my wife enjoyed living there. Um, and you know, it was hard work and the, the travel was, a was a little bit tiring sometimes, but um, but just a, just a lovely place to live, you know. Yeah. Nice food, great people, um, and it was it was after the the tsunami that that hit the Boxing Day tsunami that we realised oh. that um, that we want to get back to Australia and you know be closer to family, especially while the kids were young. Yep. Um, so that was the that was the turning point. Um, my okay. wife ended up uh, managing a little resort there in, in Phuket at Kamala, and. Wow. Um, and yeah, that was a tough a tough period. So that that changed um, yeah that changed a lot of things for us. Yeah right. Um, and then we uh, we made the commitment to give it six months after the, the the tsunami to help sort of get things back to where they they should be. And um, yeah, and then we moved on, came back to Australia. 
Wow. Okay. There you go. So the kids are growing up. We're, we're wanting to get a bit closer to, to family and friends back home in Correct. Oz. Where yep. Where did you hit the mark when you came back? Where did you go to? Um, came back to Australia, uh, Palm Beach on the Gold Coast. Okay. Nice. That had been home, and uh, we had a house that we'd bought uh, while we were overseas at, at Palm Beach. So we sort of did some renovations on that. Um, I had an old combi that I'd had for many years. So we, <laughs> nice. I, we we piled the the kids into that and took off and um, decided to, to show them a bit of the East Coast because um, they really hadn't sort of spent you know a lot of time in Australia other than the odd holiday. Yeah, right. Um, so I had a bit of a family time. Um, came back to the Gold Coast after that, and actually, then I saw a greenkeeping position back at Sanctuary Cove again under Dean Henderson. Okay, and um, so I I, uh, I went back and worked for about twelve months at Sanctuary Cove just as a greenkeeper. Yep, and uh, I wanted to sort of get the feel of of uh, what was happening back in Australia, how things were being done, um, and that was a good a good stepping stone for me coming back. Yeah, sure. Uh, got, got me back on the tools and back on the mowers again, which I absolutely love. <laughs> um, not as much stress or responsibility. Absolutely. Um, and and after a bit of a break, can I ask how long your break was? You spent that family time traveling around and, and um, before you got back to greenkeeping? That was just under 12 months. Yeah, right. So it was a reasonable break from, from yep. greenkeeping life. Yes. And then, yeah, Sanctuary Cove, 12 months. And then then briefly signed on with Titanium um, that owned and, and ran Pelican Waters. Oh, um, wow. Benny Marshall was the, the superintendent there, and they were looking at buying Laguna Keys um, oh, back up here. Before it did go missing. Yeah, exactly. And with some Chinese investment, the plan was to redevelop Laguna Keys. Um, and they had plans for a couple of golf courses and, uh, you know, a wonderful master plan. Yeah, right. Um, but, but just bad timing. So I, I jumped on board as a project manager with them. Okay. Um, and a global financial crisis uh, hit. Investors pulled out, and I was given about ten days' notice that uh, I was was no longer uh, no longer needed. Um, and everything comes to a grinding halt in terms comes of to a, yeah the yeah. big investment <laughs> world. I mean, even you know, even I know where I was working at the time, things became excruciatingly difficult with the development attached. All money just all disappeared yeah, across the landscape. Right. Really, didn't it? Yeah, it was uh, was a little bit scary, um, and I had uh, bought a unit some time before at Laguna Keys. That that had sort of been my my dream retirement spot. If yeah, it was, wow. uh, still going, um, so we thought, well, you know, I'm unemployed. Let's the fair, uh, the kids were already booked into schools up here to start a couple of weeks down the track. Wow. So um, so we moved up, and I'm not sure how long I was at Laguna Keys for. There was, um, I don't think there was a superintendent there. That was the start of the, you know, the slow demise of Laguna Keys. Yeah. Um, so I jumped in there and um, and worked for about 12 months. Um, I might have been a little bit longer there, um, just while the kids were settling in school and we were enjoying the area very much. Um can I jump in like, quickly, mate, if you don't mind? Mm. Because I don't know, uh, to me, Laguna Keys is a bit of a, a, an urban myth. I don't know a lot yeah. about it. It's, it's uh, So my sort of understanding of it um, fr- from that point that you mentioned is really yes. from its demise. I mean, what was it like working there 
when things were not great, I suppose, on the back of the GFC. And then, you know, it had such a great name and it was basically destined to ultimately disappear. I mean, how, how was That's that right. a feeling? Was there many people looking after the golf course in those those sort of final time, the yeah, final period? The, the, how did that how did that feel? Um, it it was it was heartbreaking to be honest because it's such a special spot and if anyone's played it or seen it in its heyday um, you know you'd understand it was it was built um, we, yeah probably around the same time as Sanctuary Cove and, and mm. Iwasaki Resort and a few of these big places um, and the Japanese were were flying over um, and you know loving their golf in Australia and. Um, and the same thing, it was it was special. It's an incredible block of land. You, you bust through rainforests and then you're out on the waterfront. The, the, the fairways, I think, were 328, uh, wow. Chifterwarf Greens. Um, the, yeah, and the, the quality of the place in its heyday was, was, was gobsmacking. That's, uh, um, yeah, I think, I, I'm not sure, but I thought Village Roadshow bought it and sat on it for a long time. Yeah, look, I, they they did, and then there was an Australian an Australian fellow from Melbourne, a businessman, bought it that that probably shouldn't have, and right. I think he was looking for other investors. Um, yeah, I don't think he sort of bought it, planning on on running it himself. Yeah, okay. Um, and look, I don't know the full story, but um, sad but end. That was the, the very sad end. Um, and it's still there now, isn't it? Just nothing. Still there now. The course is overgrown. I think the marina's sort of silted up. No, oh, that's um, devastating. All, all the the units and that are still there because they're all privately owned and run yeah. by the body corporates, and you know yeah. they're still nice. And there's quite a few people living there. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's no racket club. There's no restaurants. As I said, the marina's sort of empty. Um, I believe the boat ramp's still there. What a shame. Um, it's it yeah it, it is a shame because it was a very special spot. So probably how, just ahead of its time. Perhaps. Yeah, well that yeah that I mean timing's everything, isn't it? With certainly with mm. golf developments and the Queensland coast has got plenty of ones that have come and gone and up and down and you know right. different versions of of uh, have come and, and disappeared and and yep. uh, it's such a remarkable place and very popular. Like you mentioned, with Asian developers, Japanese, mm. Chinese, that they, they they absolutely love the the Queensland coast, and yes. um, that's why there's been so many developments there that that have you know some have survived and some haven't. But um, how, mate, how did it, how did it play out for you with your time there? Um, look, really good. I loved it once again. I, I wasn't under an awful lot of um, well, you know, I I knew my hands were tired as as far as you know taking the course anywhere. Um, unless the place was sort of sold or, um, you know, or something serious changed. So it was just a matter of providing the best golf course we could with the, the staff and machinery we had. Yep. Um, staffing wasn't too much of an issue. There were locals working there and, you know, some great people. And, yeah, just sort of do the best we could. Okay. Um, and, yeah, we all sort of had that frame of mind. We, we accepted what was happening to the place and, you know, the changes were out of our hands. Yeah. Um, and after I left there and came to Hamilton Island, I'm, I'm not sure how much longer it was, was open for. Another guy went and filled the superintendent's role um, and he might have been the last fellow there, I think. Yeah, right. There you go. Mm-hmm. So you take a leap. From Take a, a, a sinking ship, as it were, and we can say that because it's no longer with us, Laguna Keys is gone and has been gone for a while. So you take a leap yes. from Laguna Keys to 
quite possibly. And, oh, can I ask? You get to Hamo. Is this was Hamo being built? Was it finished? At what point did you join Hamilton Island Golf Club? I started about six weeks before opening. Right. So a brand new, shiny, very shiny, and very talked about golf course. Yes. <laughs> so you go from one extreme development that's turning south to another one that's got quite a lot ahead of it in mm. an extremely unique part of the world, more so than Laguna Keys, I think is safe to say. Yep. Um, what was that jump like? Was this a, a was it confident? In, I mean, all developments are a bit funny for me because you never really know whether they're going to work or not. They always start out with a lot of fanfare and everyone talks it up. But yeah, this was something yeah. special because Hamo is a very, very special part of uh, part of Queensland. Look, it is, and the the Oatley family that that own Hamilton Island, they're they're passionate about everything they do. They they do things well. Um, I was excited to to jump on board. Um, at a good time, you know, it, it was yeah something to get the teeth into. It was still a construction when I got here, so the you know setting up the procedures and um, just turning it into a an operation from a from a construction. Yeah, that um, would have been quite a challenge and and quite um, quite interesting and fun at the same time. I imagine it's all yeah. you're really creating the, the operation of a golf course from a maintenance perspective that's ne- never been done before and it's on a unique site. You mentioned we just yep. learned it's National Park, so that's something that's new. <laughs> it's yep. in the middle of the Great Barrier Reef, so that's something special. It's, yep. uh, Mate, How that would have been a very, very impressive part of your career, I imagine. Yeah, it was a, it was a good one. Um, it's, yeah, look, it is a, it's a different beast and, yeah, just, yeah, I just wanted to dive in. It was terrific. And, and Doug Robinson was involved with the, the construction here and, uh, you know, having, having him as a, as a shoulder to cry on if and when needed was, you know, it was good to know as well. And, you know, I, I guess one of the challenges was that was also exciting is, you know, Hamilton Island's not a golf company or a golf business um yep you know it's it, it's built as a you know as a major sort of act, activity for the resort but it is an activity it's you know they've got go-karts they've got um you know bowls the restaurants all the you know the kids stuff over there yeah, the quad bike riding and you can yeah, go on helicopter yeah, flights it. and there's a you know, na- yeah. name it you think of it they've pretty much got one of it that's it. So it, it's yeah. So it's different. Not working for a, um, a you know a golf specific you know company, um, and I guess with my, my background at resort courses, that that probably helped to to understand that. Yeah. Um, and you know, although we're trying to get the surfaces right, or we we want to do everything you know for golfers, um, it is a resort course. Most of our golfers are playing the course for the first time. It's uh, a bit of it's about the wow factor and the the views, obviously, and the the good service at the clubhouse. Um, but it is a it's yeah it's a different beast. It's not your your everyday you know, your club members that have, have played the course a thousand times or are, you know are there for a monthly medal. Um, it's yeah you've, you've keyed it up for for holiday makers and you know that 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 style of environment. And I, I imagine quite a few of your golfers aren't golfers. Is that probably no. fair to say as well because of yes. where it is yep. and what it is and you talked about those, the wow factors and it's a, it, it's understanding your clientele when setting up your, like you said earlier on, your procedures and how you're going to maintain the golf course is mm-hmm. really important with a place like Hamilton Island, I imagine, as That's a golf it, course because it, you really need to, you're coming from a different, a different angle. 
definitely you're catering for a yeah, different clientele and a wide variety as you said some you know non-golfers certainly some people that their first game of golf's over here um <laughs> what a golf course that could, yeah, that, could create, that could create some issues too. <laughs> um you know some early early days i've seen i'd drive up to a or you know, turn up and there's a there's a golf cart parked in the middle of the green while someone's having a putt <laughs> next to it. Um, you know, you, <laughs> you name it, you've seen. Oh, it. you can't imagine you can't imagine that coming from other parts of golf in uh, in other in other courses across the country or the world, and you see random. Random things like that because <laughs> it's not acts of strangeness. It's not like you said. It, these, these a lot of the people that go there, and I've been there. Like I said, I've nearly been there. I think a half a dozen times now. Very fortunate to do so. And one of the best days I had was uh, a couple of days because we got married at Hamilton Island, my wife and I, and yes. uh, and that was very special. And and two days before it, you know, me and the and the boys, the crew, the all the uh, all the groomsmen and and family, we went over there and and us guys all played uh, played around a the golf there. And some of them weren't golfers. I know my best yep. man wasn't a golfer at all, <laughs> and they were just gobsmacked with what it is and where it is. It it, it really takes people. It really grabs people. On a on a on a quite an interesting level when they're not golfers to see the golf course in its location, mm. and they're captivated by it. They're not golfers. It's really unique. Uh, yeah, it is. It's um, you know, and, and as you know, you turn up in a boat, then you put in a little minivan and taken <laughs> up the hill to the clubhouse, and um, yeah, the whole the whole experience very different. And and because the course isn't visible from anywhere you, yeah. you don't know what you're arriving to that's a good and point that was, that's a yeah, good point because you don't it, see it from sea level you get the boat over on hamilton island golf club because we should mention to people if they're not sure hamilton island golf club and the golf course is on dent island so it's 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 next door to across the passage i can't remember what it's called yep. from hamilton island golf club it isn't so you get on the boat at the marina you can't all you can see is a bushy island with a very high spine ridge running across the middle of it and or the length of it, I should say, and you're like, we're going over there. So where where are we going exactly? It's just all bush. It's yeah. It's <laughs> so that that's a that's a part of the appeal in the adventure. Um, and that was a a big part of the design brief. And um, Thomas and Perrett Trot did an incredible job. Um, they weren't allowed to have the course visible from around the island, so they're not changing oh. the look of the Whit Sundays. Wow. So they weren't allowed to, um, yeah, to make it visible or to change the look of the, the islands around the place. The, the the only spot that you're allowed to see or really know that there's a golf course from is some of the, the hills on Hamilton Island. If you look across, you see a couple of little splashes of green fairway. Wow. Um, but if you're on a boat traveling around the island, yeah, you wouldn't know it's there. So that's a key. So we should mention it is Thompson Parrot mm. Design. Um, yes. the, the company that did it. So it, it's, it's got pedigree behind the design. Um, yep. I, I assume it's um, wanting to put a bit of a, a name to a destination golf course as well from the Oatley family, no doubt. That's part of yep. what they do sometimes with these sorts of developments. But that's a really interesting key because I've, I've, I don't know any of the background to, to the build, to, to the golf course in, in this type that um, you mentioned it's National Park. And I assume this comes back to the fact that it's National Park. It's a very important part of Australia. Um, these yes, islands are yes so the, the the i mean the construction team um, benny marshall and doug were involved the did an incredible job um with the with what they were given to work with the the strict rules um of the construction 
uh, the the limited footprint that they could work with um, was was quite incredible on a tough tough site. Oh, <laughs> it is. It's so much Solid rock. rock. It's, yeah, rock and exposed. Everything has to be barged on the island, so they had limited access for machinery. Um, yeah, it's an incredible feat just to to actually put it here. It it absolutely so, and a, and a lot of that that detail. I mean, I suppose we, at the end of the day, we could talk for hours about a lot of this stuff. But I want to try and get some of the key points of this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you so some of the, tell us, can you tell us a little bit about? Obviously, it was interesting hearing about that design brief. Is there any more of that sort of info about the what restrictions are there of maintaining a golf course on an island? On its own island, you're on a three golf course that I know of in Australia that's on its very, very own island. Um, yep. It's quite unique. But it, it's it's the, the National Park and the sensitivity of being in the Great Barrier Reef. I imagine there is some amazing restrictions on how you can function, how you can operate. You mentioned a little bit there, you touched on logistics of getting things to your very own island. And of course... Hamo is an island in itself, which has to get things from the mainland. So we're sort of, you know, bumping from place to place to get to you. Yeah, logistically, it's a nightmare. Um, Look, but it it works. Um, There's a a team at Shoot Harbour, a logistics team, and they organise the barges. And there's a barge which does two runs to Hamo. Um, I mean, as you say, everything, all the food, everything has to come across on a barge to Hamilton Island and everything has to leave on the barge, you know, all the waste, rubbish. Um, yeah, so logistically getting what you need when you need it, it takes a bit of a bit of time. Um, and then we have to factor in that we have to get things from Hamilton Island to Dent as well. We, we do have a, a, a barge ramp on the island here. Um, but there's a reef in front of it, so of the, course there is. You're a, yeah. God, there has to be. You could, <laughs> wouldn't make sense reef. if there wasn't. <laughs> and they weren't allowed to disrupt that reef um, during construction because it would have been great to blast it and have the barge could come in any time. But the big barge that brings tippers of sand and and fuels, um, we can only get that in on the very tops of high tides. Um, wow. And it can only stay on the barge ramp for a certain amount of time while trucks unload and do what they have to do. And during winter, this time of year, I, I can't get a barge onto the island during during day um, hours. What? There's the, the, the top of the high tide isn't enough for, to, for the barge to come in and to, to stay there while we pump fuel and, and empty tippers. So, so how, um, is, it, is it obvious that it has to be done at night? Is that what you do or do you just have to wait we, a long period? You load up before we, this time of the we, year? <laughs> we, we, we factor out because the, the tides are set. They don't change. So they, they can factor in the last available tide for us and we load up on sand, get as much fuel and everything on the island as, as we can and, and we can hold. Um, and then, I mean, everything we do, we've got contingencies. So we've got a, a 400 litre pod we can put on a ute. We have a small barge which comes across twice a week, and that still it has to be at high tide. But it, um, we've got a lot more, um, a lot more opportunities with that one. So this little barge called Mini Me that brings <laughs> food over to the the restaurants. Um, it'll take our wheelie bins of rubbish away. We can fit a ute on that so we can have a, a pallet of fertiliser um, on the ute. Um, so that's our lifeline that wow. we use twice a week. 
That's incredible. Um, I think about the times when I was running, if we got low on fuel or if someone stuffed up and, you know, we, we were short on an order of fertiliser, you just go, mm. I'll just run up the road and we'll grab it or I'll quickly we'll order, you know, I'll call so-and-so down in, in Sydney and they'll get it sent up to me tomorrow. I mean, you, you've got to be planned and and booked in so far ahead. Like you said, you've got contingencies. Yes. I imagine you've got contingency storage. You can't just go, we need a load of sand because we're going to go and top dress teas tomorrow. All this yes. sort of stuff is really set out months ahead mm. because of these logistical challenges. That's right. Yeah. Unreal. When we want, yeah, when we want things, quite often Hamilton Island will have a function on or something and, you know, the barges are tied up or... Um, <laughs> So yeah, everything has to be 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 planned out, and that that's a huge part of, of my role is it's just the logistical side of it. Wow! Making sure I've got enough um, yeah products on hand. Um, yeah, we we keep a lot of spare parts for machinery. Um, that's incredible. Yes, it's a different beast. I yeah. Uh, <laughs> would some of your experience? Would you have, I mean, working on resorts and, and things like that, because it is, it is different clientele, different different uh, customers, different way that the golf courses are run and managed. It, did you pick up some of this working at the Sanctuary Coves of the World and working over in Thailand and different types of resort-style setups? I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it helped. Um, being prepared for the unexpected or, or just having backup plans and, and being a little bit patient, I think, over the years I've learned. Um, you, things aren't always going to go to plan. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I definitely I think my background helped. If I'd come from, from sort of straight members courses, um, you know, which would be wonderful as well, but yep. um, I, think, I think it would have been a little bit different. But having the resort background where things work a little bit differently, mm. um, yeah, it did help. Sure. We'll talk a little bit more about some of those challenges uh, a little bit later on because I want to ask you some other questions uh, you know, when we get into a few of the the really heavy things that have damaged around that part of the the region, um, but I want to talk a little bit about as and we touched on there before in the design and the early days of construction, you were getting involved and uh, growing the golf course in because mm-hmm. um, I want to understand a little bit, if you don't mind, Brad, about you know what was it like to to mature and grow in Hamilton Island as a golf course because. I'm, you know, I'm just, ideas are running through my head. The abundance of, you know, having, you know, challenges of, of just getting gear and, and all that sort of stuff. Yep. And, and on, we touched on, there is so much rock. So I don't know the profiles and how the golf course surfaces and the, the soil profiles are built there and, and what depths you could do. Cause you blast, there was a lot of dynamite blasting to build 18th fairway, I think is from memory. That's you were telling right. me, um, yep. to blow the big knob of the rock off to build the fairway down yeah, back to the clubhouse. A um, million dollars were spent just on that hole. on explosives. How much? A million dollars. Just to build, just to just give you a framework to build a fairway. <laughs> That's yeah, to incredible. Get, to, get, to get the level down low enough. That's astonishing. Um, so the, what was it like maturing the golf course with it, the site that it is? Because high humidity, we talked about how difficult that can be with grass. Yeah. You get, I imagine you get a little bit of rain during the wet season. <laughs> yep, just a little bit. Uh-huh. Tell us a bit about how those first couple of years went. Um, first couple of years are quite good. When I, I started, we um, we had a date for the opening. The greens weren't growing in yet, so we oversowed those with Poa Triv. Okay. Um, and they, they look terrific. The the fairways and most of the grassing was quite mature. Um, and, it, you know, you get good growing weather up here. Um, 
So look, it wasn't it wasn't too bad. Once we got rid of the power and we were looking at what was what was left and underneath, and we had a lot of ERI in the greens. Okay. Uh, and we still get touches at that certain years. In the fairways, look, you know, the rock and everything is an issue. Um, a lot of it was solid turf, slopes and, and areas. So there was a lot of solid turf. Right, there. okay. Um, but in the fairways and everything, tees were in, in good condition when um, when uh, before before opening. So we were quite fortunate there. Yeah, okay, um, cool. But getting, as you said, getting your head around the soils and things was a, was a tough one. The There was no soil imported for the fairways. It was all sort of... You know, scraped off areas, sieved and, and wow. reused. Um, okay. And we, we we do have bits of rock, you know, coming through fairways, and um, there's not a lot of profile in there, and it's you know it's heavily sort of eroded soil, as you can imagine, which has been up here and exposed for millions of years. Yeah. Because the Greenleaf so- Park is what we have on the fairways. It copes quite well, um, but they they we can't renovate the fairways um we use a, a terror rake to scratch them up yep um i did have a slicing machine here a toe behind slicing machine and that lasted about 50 meters up the first fairway. Say, did you destroy it all together <laughs> yes yeah so yeah that that's that, so there, that there's, there's some off. really bizarre challenges for a, a golf course so these are all i imagine a, a, a payoff to the restrictions of being able to build in there in the first place. These are the the things that you've got to deal with in time because you can't, yes. like you said, the soil. It, it's it's a it's basically a rock with bush on it. Let's be honest, it's Dent Island. I mean, it's so, right. there's uh, nothing to it. There's no soils really there to speak. I don't know if you didn't bring right. any on there or the guys, the team didn't. Um, that's a pretty mean effort to get something that you can grow grass on. For fairways, because right. you wouldn't, we wouldn't know as 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 I played it, like I said a few times, and I wouldn't have realised it was that shallow. I had shallow soils at Katoomba, where we had sandstone mm-hmm. at about two hundred mil, you know, anywhere yep. from hundred to two hundred mil down, and I'm wondering why they're drying out so much. But you've got less. There's <laughs> less in certainly less in in patches. Um, look, once again, you know, they did an incredible job during construction. They they really did. Um, and it just wasn't logistically possible to, you know, to sand cap or to, to bring material in. Um, wow. Tees and tees and greens, um, of course, but you know that's uh, that's it. That's incredible. So, so what does that equal to maintain your fair? So you can't renovate the way that we would think. You, you're putting things down to open up deep down, you know, 100, 200 mil down. You can't do that. You've just said you you destroy machines. You so, destroy machines. I've. I've um, so yeah, the the, the terror rake's been wonderful, just to to sort of flick up a bit of thatch out of them. Yep. The fairways are quite um, quite thatchy. Do you do that um, as a payoff again? Is that part of the payoff to try and maintain with what you've got there as a soil profile of next to nothing? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, we just deal with what we've got and uh, and do the best we can. I've uh, I've just bought a, an air evader. Oh, I love which that I'm a machine. Bit excited about. I love yep. that machine. If you can break that, I'll be impressed. Yeah, so that that was exciting to get. Um, the, it just sort of turned up in the middle of the wet season, so I've sort of been waiting. We're just about to get it out now. Everything's dried out, and so it's yeah. I'm I'm, I'm going to be impressed with that. So that'll certainly help. And then um, you know, we'll get some calcium and um and some gypsum into them, and uh, and see what we can do because uh, we haven't been able really to do that before. Uh, we put some some gypsum out, but you know, the quantities that this soil needs is um. You know, un- unmanageable. It's just uh, yeah. it's a crazy high amount. That's um, 
So, yeah, I'm excited about the Air Evader, and I know on certain areas and some of the parts where the haul roads were and some areas yep. that are a little bit more compacted than others, Yep. Um, yeah, this will be a, a good machine. It looks really tough. I've had a few plays with it. and um, Oh, you'll love uh, it. I can tell you now. I can tell you now. You're going to love it. I used to I used to flog the daylights out of it at, uh, at both Wentworth Falls where I worked in Katoomba and running over, like you said, those those tracks that are formed. And for you guys, it was in, during construction, the haul roads. For us, yep. it's just maintenance tracks that we cross fairways. You'd go on mm-hmm. low, low, low gear and you just absolutely shake the bejesus out of it and it was Wonderful. awesome it just i think it goes through concrete if you sit it there i think it does break up concrete, concrete it's, it's yeah, amazing that's what we need. <laughs> it's going to ride up and roll over some of the solid rock areas and, yeah yeah um, you'll see it jumping you'll see it jumping around that's uh, well mate that's a very good tool that you've got now at your disposal, mm. which is going to be uh, a big help to improving the course. So we'll jump uh, jump to uh, your grass types. You mentioned Greenleaf Park on your fairways. Is that Greenleaf some- Park? Yep. Is that something that you've got on your tees and surrounds as well, or is that a different different grass? No, tees and surrounds or Greenleaf Park. Okay. Tiff Tiff Eagle on the greens. Tiff Eagle, and that's been from from the moment it was built. Has been Tiff Eagle from. Yes, correct. From and how, how do you find that as a performer? Because I think, like we said before, that at the Pines, for example, they've recently gone to Tiff Eagle. How's, how do you find Tiff Eagle as a, as a putting you, green performer? Look, at, at first, I, I, I don't think I wasn't overly impressed, but um, it, it's certainly growing on me. Um, Pardon the pun. Yeah, yeah <laughs> definitely. Yeah, yeah sorry. Um, yeah, look, it has. It, it's, uh, it, it's grown on me, and I, I, I enjoy it now. I like it. It's, uh, it's a good grass, a nice surface. Nice. Um, mm, very good. I mean, it, it, good. it putts well when I played that. Cause, and you've got, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, if you had the Queensland PGA there, what, what are the tournaments that you've – because you have had tournaments there. Yeah, we for was it seven or eight years we had the PGA, the championships. Okay. Um, so that was the Australian finals um, for all the club pros. Ah, um, right. And look, that was a lot of fun. That's that's the time that we can trick the course up for for good golfers. That that's so pretty cool. Yeah, it was good and great for the the team as well. Um, so we get the greens rolling a little bit quicker and uh, a little bit firmer and. Um, yeah, it was great. It was a terrific event. The pros had a good time. We ran it the same week, uh, an amateur event as well. Um, it was a good time of year. And uh, look, we had a ball with that. That was terrific. Um, different clientele to prepare the golf course for. Was, yeah, exactly. Was it something um, that was was a bit of a goal for the place at all to be able to host a, a, golf, a true golf tournament? Look, it was. It was a – you can't sort of – you can't hold an event here with spectators. Um, they have to swim. They, they, well, yeah, <laughs> but you, you can't get them around the course. As soon as you, you're off the edge of the fairway, it's National Park. Oh, so, again, we get so, back to logistics. This is really interesting. So there's no there's no sort of rough or in-between fairways areas for people to walk and, and look. Um, so it's not a course that you could have a, a tournament with spectators on. Wow, okay. you couldn't you, you couldn't get them around the course. It's in, and walking in that long native grass, um, you know, you'd be rolling your ankle on rocks. Yeah, because it's yeah, it's, um, mm. it's it looks you know it looks lovely and that you could run through it off the, you know, something out <laughs> of the sound of music, but it, it's certainly not the case. <laughs> and we um, won't talk about the because uh, it's card only golf as well. We should mention that to people. Because it is, is card only, yeah. You've got a, a small, considerably enormous drive from the 17th green to the 18th tee. That's over a <laughs> kilometre in itself. 
And there's some quite there's some big hills in in that one. That's nearly you could um, nearly have some sort of marathon or something. <laughs> they, you could run the golf course, yeah, couldn't we've you? Done that. Yeah, you can. Oh, you, you have. Um, there you go. I'm all, all over it. Um, yeah, not certainly not me, but we used to have a group on Sunday mornings come across and run around the cart pass. See, now that's uh, a good that idea. The Dent Dash. Mm. The Dent Dash. It's not short. Yeah. That's not, that's not, not short. a dash. The the full course is uh, 11 kilometers on the cart pass. Wow. And there's some hills, like you mentioned. I mean, this is not the island is is far from uh, anywhere remotely close to what you call flat. I mean, what's the height? What's the elevation? The highest point? Do you know? Um, Maybe I'll put uh, you on the spot there, mate. Yeah, look, you have. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of my dam levels, and, and it probably goes from about 25 meters above sea level to to probably 125. Yeah, because I mean, it's a long way up. Especially, I love the part up at the fourth tee. Up the yeah, top of the path three, it's absolutely magnificent. Yeah, there's so many good parts. But uh, mate, I'll, I'll take you off the spot there. We know it's high because the only other way you get, like you said, when you come in from that boat and everything just starts to get higher and higher, the closer you get to <laughs> get to the to the wharf. That's it. It's yep. uh, and then you drive up that very very steep driveway. You get taken up the very steep driveway. The beautiful yep. magical service that you've got there as part of the golf club. It's uh, it's quite uh, everything about it is quite remarkable. So we learn a little bit about your turf surfaces there and and how mm-hmm. they. Um, um, and what, well, people can compare that as well to other golf courses they might have played, which is the idea of understanding turf. But it's all cooch is the short version. Yes. Um, and that's akin to, to where you are in the, the warm part of the world, warm part of Australia. I always like to ask this one because, well, there's probably a thousand and one fantastic locations on the golf course, but you know the, 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 the site intimately. Do you have anywhere, for someone who, who knows the place so well over so long, is there anywhere that you still get to on the golf course or you love to go and just have a little bit of a, a, a an outlook over something? I mean, everywhere is magic. Do, do you have one spot that's magic for look, you? There's a look, there's a, oh, well, for me, it's the fourth. Um, I, I love standing on the tee on the fourth. It's beautiful. Um, that's a special spot. You can sort of look down and see most of the front nine. You've got the water off behind the green. Yeah. Um, and there's a, a wonderful little beach down on the right-hand side. Once you go around the cart path a bit more, you can look down on this great little beach. Um, so, yeah, the fourth – I mean, everyone talks about the 14th and the 15th as the sort of signature holes, but, um, yeah, the 14th's my favourite. There is a lookout on the 14th tee, which is is, uh, is a good spot. Yep, yep. Um, but, yeah, no, the fourth is special for me. Uh, nice, it, and it is. There's so many great spots. Like I, I can, I can rattle them off in the only half a dozen times I've been there, and I love it. But um, yep. to hear you say it, and you're there every day. I, I, I think yes. that that tells everyone listening just what that fourth tee. And when you get there, and it's early in your round too, which is what I like. Yep. Because it's unusual that that you get something so special early on in a golf. They try and build it, and I mean, you build to the back, like you said, fourteen, fifteen. That's it. Um, yeah. Even sixteen, eight. Oh, anyway, That's we just right. yeah. <laughs> there's no. There's, oh, we could run. Not a bad view out there. You got water views, I think, on every hole. Uh, oh, you yeah. see the water or the islands from from some point of every hole. <laughs> yeah, I, it's just it, it really is a special. But for anyone listening, if you haven't been, and we have bucket list. It's funny because there's bucket list golf courses all over Australia, and there, there's plenty of them, but. There's, you know, people talk about, you know, your, your Cape Wickham's and your Barn Bugles and the Tassie stuff at the moment and, and uh, New South Wales and Sydney and that sort of thing. But for, for whatever reason, and I know Hamilton Island is a bucket list golf course, but it's probably not as high up 
for some reason as as I think it should be from it's probably more akin f- or more attributed to to visiting golfers like we said earlier on yes. um, because so many other different types of reasons to be there and you get yeah. you get people coming over because the first time I saw it was uh, as part of just a lunch tour so I didn't even go mm. there to play golf we went there for lunch and then we got driven around the golf course yeah, it's a that's a wonderful uh, a wonderful lunch. You would have enjoyed that. The chefs oh, yeah. do a terrific job there. <laughs> so that's a that's a package, and yeah, they they put you in the buggies when the weather's fine, and um, and uh, yeah, and off you go around the the back nine normally, or, or we do the tour up around the front nine as yep. well now some days as well, weather depending. So um, there's another question I've got because I'm thinking. And this comes back to it not being a golf business that you mentioned yes. way back in the conversation. I can I can think that there's there's people out there that I know that are greenkeepers or superintendents that off the top of their head would just go, You want people you're gonna drive people out in the middle of the day onto the mm. golf course and just gonna show them around? Yeah, yeah. You know, are they gonna get in the way of the golfers? <laughs> or they're gonna get in the way of us, or they're gonna get they're gonna be in the way, full stop. And you want to, why would you do that? I mean, when you go to Hamo, it's obvious why. What's that like? Yeah, look, it it does take a little bit to to get used to things like that. But you hear how popular it is and the the joy it brings to non-golfers who won't see it. Or the people, you know, like yourself that might have have done the tour and gone, oh, my God, I've got to book in. I want to play this. Um, You know, it's a wonderful form of advertising for us as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. but to to make it work, I mean, there's they're they're escorted by a clubhouse staff. Yes, they stay on the path where the golfers are on the fairways. Mm-hmm. Um, the the staff that take them around, you know, normally do a bit of a talk, and and they're they're very conscious and aware of the golfers, and it's it's done tactfully and and respectfully to the golfers. So um, yeah, they they get around. Uh, we, we've never had any issues, and you know, once again, our, our golfers are on holidays. They're in that holiday frame of mind. They're they're not um, um, you know, they're they're not sort of halfway through a monthly medal and uh, and, and frustrated about certain things or. Yep. Uh, um, so it's that holiday spirit and and, uh, and atmosphere I think helps us as well. I, I love um, that you mentioned it's a, it's advertising as well, just for the golf course that you get these non. My my wife came. She she was like, "Let's go. We don't have time. Yeah. You didn't bring your clubs, and you're you know." She's like, "Oh, you, you like to play with your own clubs?" And yes, I do. I will say that I'm one of those people that <laughs> I like to play with my own clubs. But but she's like, "Let's just go over and do lunch, and then there's mm. a, there's this tour." And she's a non-golfer. Like she knows golf yep. and has played it, but she's not really a golfer. And and so Bree says, you know, let's go and do this. We'll go over there for lunch. So you get the boat. You go over there. They take you up. They look after you inside. You have the most incredible feet. And mm. you've got the most amazing views out of the clubhouse. Then you jump yep. in a cart on a beautiful day when it's, you know, p- beautiful one day, perfect the next. And we go out the back nine. And we went with, I think there was eight, eight four carts or something was there was oh, at, nice. at, at yep. the time. So it wasn't huge. And we get out the back and... I I think I was probably the only you know person I can say was genuinely a golfer that in the group. Right. So I was like beaming wide-eyed to see this golf course because I wasn't playing it this time, and everyone else were non-golfers, and they were jumping out of their skin to see <laughs> the views and to yeah. see the. So they were. This is what got me. We went down to the fourteenth. I remember we went down to the fourteenth green with the par three over the back with the magnificent views, and we drove down to the green and we get off our golf buggies yeah. and and we like you said we're escorted all the way as we drive the loop 
And uh, and the the woman who was who was looking after us, said, you know, come out, get your photo, stand on the green. You got the beautiful. It's almost an infinity green with a uh, off the back. It drops away, and you got the views in the water. People were were getting down and and feeling the grass, the grass with their yeah. hair because they never seen. <laughs> this is the thing that I love to show people that aren't golfers, right? And I talk about this a lot because we're doing. We tried from your model there, mate. I can tell you, we tried to do similar things where I was at Katoomba because we're at a holiday destination. Oh, so we yep. tried to get people to go around the golf course more about with weddings and stuff where mm-hmm. they can take photos. But everyone that we went with on this tour at Hamo of the back nine were not golfers, probably had never been on a golf course before. Mm. were jumping out of their skins with cameras to take photos of them standing next to the flag on this yep. magnificent putting surface with the views, endless views of, of the Great Barrier Reef and the Whit Sundays. And they could not get enough of it. It yeah, was that's, that's great. It was mesmerizing because I'm loving it and I'm a golfer. Why would non-golfers yeah. not love it? And they yeah, did. that's right. It was yeah, incredible. Hopefully they're going home and telling their golfer friends, showing them the photos and oh. saying you're... You've got to go to Hamilton Island. <laughs> I've got, I've got absolutely <laughs> no doubts. That's what they were doing, and yep, and no, and you look wonderful. at that. I still look at the photos, and I just go, "Wow!" I just want to get back there one day, and I know I will yep. because you've yep. just got to do it, mate. That's just me talking up Hamo. There you go. <laughs> I'll do it for no, nothing. Thank you for it. <laughs> thank you. Now, mate, um, let's 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 talk about some of the um, logistical things, and maybe we can tie a couple of things together here. You guys have been through your fair share of cyclones. You're in mm-hmm. cyclone territory, and you, yes. when you get them, my oh my, you get them. Yeah. Debbie was probably the last one, was it, in 2017 that was the most devastating? Yeah, Debbie was definitely the worst one, and it was our, our last one, thank goodness. Um, What's, yeah. What happens to a golf course during a cyclone, mate? It might sound like a stupid question, but, no. I mean, we talk about the weather we've had on the East Coast down here in New South Wales and, and southeastern Queensland and floods, yep. and we've had fires three years earlier and all this sort of stuff. What the hell happens to a golf course in a cyclone? <laughs> Um, look, for for us, and, and as you know, Steve, we don't have many huge trees. The, the fairways aren't tree-lined. It's native yep. grasses. Um, there's brush boxes, and there, there are windswept sort of low trees and, and, and shrubs around. Um, so we, we don't have massive trees falling over and, um, and, and doing damage. Um, we're, we're picking up sticks, don't get me wrong, and nearly every, every tree and that's on the island that doesn't have leaves and, um, and the areas where there are, you know, the, the smaller trees that block the paths and whatnot. But, you know, for the golf course, it's not too bad. Okay. Um, and, you know, basically we, we, you know, we're picking up sticks. We did with Debbie was a bad one. That, that cyclone was very slow moving. Uh, so it, it took, I think, 24 hours, maybe longer, sort of to, to move across. Other cyclones we've had sort of come and go within a few hours and, oh, and do wow. less damage. Okay. So that was the that was the problem with Debbie. Um, and we got a, a chipping company down from Townsville pretty quick, and um, it took about, I think, uh, we've been close to 10 days with the the chipper behind the tractor going along the path. Yeah, and right. The boys just sort of picking up all the the, the fallen. Um, trees and branches from a, 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 around the paths and, and just chipping them, mulching it back into the um, back into the, the native areas, which yep. we can do. Okay. Um, our big problem is infrastructure. Um, the jetty gets damaged. Ah, um, things we we go back to logistics. Things yeah, that we don't right. think about. Yeah, 
so the the course you know we can clean up when the jetty's damaged um it's it's sort of the the jetty suspended by these sort of bungee cords under the water and, and sea anchors um those bungee cords come from sweden uh, and have oh, to that be all? of course they come from sweden um, where else would and, they come from and that's it so when when the jetty gets damaged um we could be a couple of weeks where Whoa. you know oh and s we can't get golfers or people onto the the jetty and back onto the island um okay so you know our contingencies there are we use mini me or this other little boat the rail and we we go to the barge ramp and that's how we get we can get staff back onto the island right oh so we don't open up as a golf course until that jetty and everything's safe. Yep. But I can get staff. I mean, one cyclone a few years ago, we the, we had a week and the boys were getting helicopters from Hamilton Island <laughs> to Dant Island. How did you um, get to work the other day? We got the chopper. Yeah, we got the, we, chopper we got the company chopper. Couldn't couldn't get the smile off our faces. <laughs> we we wanted scenic tours and laps of the island, but no, they wouldn't do that. It was the straightest line possible between oh, the airport and the helipad. But, um, but that's what we had to do to um, to get back onto the course. First world problems. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the jetty and the infrastructure, the, the two islands are connected with a series of pipework and, and fibre optics. Um, and our potable water on the island is, is made on Hamilton Island and, and pumped across to Dent. Okay. Um, so we got to make sure you know that we can get water. That our, all our electricity, the, the powers under the sea to Hamilton Island, um, and fibre optics for our networks, computers, irrigations, all that kind of stuff. So just making sure all the infrastructure is intact. Um, one year the jetty got damaged, and we've got potable water going down to the jetty. Um, so that drained a, 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 a half a meg tank Whoa. of potable water. Valuable stuff, right? Out of, yeah, valuable stuff when you're making it. Yeah. Um, and that burnt out a pump. So we've, after, you know, the first sort of cyclone, we, we've got plans in place uh, to protect the infrastructure and isolate things and, and limit damage. And um, so we've been through a few. We're, we're, we're getting pretty good at them. Um, and, but the, the jetty is the weakest link. And what about the, I imagine, building standards are, you know, everything changed, we know, from Cyclone Tracy all those years ago mm. in Darwin. Um, yep. The clubhouse, your, your, your maintenance facility-wise, how did that stand up to a Debbie? Yeah, pretty good. I, I lost a, a little bit of, um, of the, the flashing in the roof uh, above the office, but, you know, everything else pretty good. The clubhouse was sound. They're, they're well built. Yeah, so no, we haven't had any 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 big issues like that. You know, once again, I've got um, two massive tanks, half a meg each. Um, so the integrity of those is is vital to us. Yep. yep. Um, and they've both been well, um, been good as well. So okay. Yeah, look, touch wood. We've been all right. Very good. So that's the associated winds. Now we know that with cyclones comes a lot of rain. How do your bunkers stand up in that? Um, because you're bunkers, built on rock, as we've learnt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the bunkers wash out, and they used to wash out in the wet season uh, originally anyway. Okay. Um, we did rebuild them a few years ago using custom bind, uh, yep. custom bind layer in the bunkers. Okay. And since then, the wet seasons have been, been terrific. It's very rare that they um, we get any washouts in them. Wow, that's so awesome. That's, yeah, that's made a huge difference to... Um, yeah, to the wet season, that's for sure. So there's a, okay. Um, so that probably leads me into the next one a little bit, where I said I'd tie. Maybe we could tie a couple of things together. You you rebuilt your bunkers, which I I, mm. I know I've talked to you about before. Do we go back to logistical challenges 
you know, did you have to replace all the sand? Is that what you did, or did you dig them out, yep. stockpile it, or just start fresh? Is that what you got to do when you when you're rebuilding yep. bunkers? Um, yes, we did. Uh, we we dug all the the old bunkers out, the shells, and um, uh, you know, which is yeah. Once again, what, what do you do with all that material? Yeah. Um, so we we sort of stashed it on on little areas that we we can on the island um, to use as as fill and um, and material. Yep. Um, so you know that that sort of became a bonus for us that we, we've ended up with you know probably. 600 cube of, of material that we can use wow that's cool um so that that's good the the, the downside of that is i've got, had to bring in uh, what about 1500 cube of material oh. to rebuild them <laughs> wow. so that that was uh, 70 to 80 tippers of material Wow. Um, so that took a couple of months just in itself, um, getting and, those tippers brought onto the island. And that's because you've got to do like what, one at a time? Um, no, on the big barge, we could hold five to six tippers, depending, okay. and two prime movers. Well, okay, so, so it's a big barge. I didn't realise it was that big, but you've got to get this a, with the tides that are available, right? That's right, and the, the time of year we did it, most of those tides were, were night time, so we had lighting towers on the barge ramp and on the stockpiles. <laughs> um, and you imagine you got it's, – it's a narrow sort of long barge with all the tippers lined up and only two prime movers, so that the prime movers would take two loads up, dump them. They couldn't put the empty trailers back on the barge because they'd block the ah, full trailers. they're in the way. So they've got a – unhook the empty trailers down at the barge ramp on the island and then unhook and then hook up the full trailers, do the same thing, then park them and, and do it again. So they're continually hooking up and unhooking these semi-trailers, which would wow. be a frustrating nightmare. And you've got, um, you got a little marshalling area to put these things parked off the side of it. You've got to have the space for that. You've, you know, yep. It's at night time, so there's challenges. Yep. I mean, like you've got, you got an angry barge operator <laughs> looking at the tide going, come on, come on. Watching uh, the clock. Yeah, um, and that that barge ramp was um, you know was used during the construction, so the laydown area was there. Okay. Um, so it was using um, infrastructure that was already in place, um, but once again, the logistic teams that that worked out when we could get the barges, the tides, and you know, and that sand had to be picked up from you know, north of Proserpine as well, and and driven to Shoot Harbour and stored and. Um, wow. Yeah, it, it's 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 quite a it's quite a challenge, but the, those that team did a fabulous job, and they got all the material here for us. That's incredible. Sand and gravel. Mm. That's incredible. There's just so much, so many other things to think about to do something. So so now that your course is built, it's been matured over. I don't know, how old's the course? Eleven? How old? How old? Uh, how old's course? Close to thirteen now. Thirteen years old. So as it's mature, you got a is part of the. Pro- the maintenance and the planning and, and everything that goes on with looking after Hamo as a golf course, you you try and keep your inputs to a minimum unless you absolutely need to do stuff. Is that part of how it works? Do you have to think sustainably about all these sorts of things as well? Yeah, we don't want to be wasting barge trips and, and you know, skippers and time on, on doing things unnecessarily, that's for sure. Uh, if that's what you mean by inputs, yeah, 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 yeah. As far as bringing stuff over, because yes, uh, time is money as so. well. So everything costs double for you guys, I'm sure. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I tell the boys. I mean, I buy for when we're dusting greens. I buy a tipper of sand down in Mackay that you know roughly costs say five hundred dollars for the sand, but it 
cost me about $2,600 to oh, get the sand here. And that's not including really the barge cost. That's so more, it's five uh, times know, the cost. Yeah. Yep. yep and it doesn't include here. the barge to get it from mm. Hamo Island to Dent Island. Yep. That's astounding. Um, it is astounding. That's staggering. Um, I, can't, I can't imagine golf. So, yeah, this is a very different type of golf course to, to uh, business to run. Yeah, very much so. Very throw throw the book out the window. Most yeah. people will have no idea how how you how you guys function. <laughs> this is hey, all. It's all it's all good. There's no negatives. Uh, you know, it can be. Uh, there's frustrations at times, but sure, uh, it, it's a wonderful place to do it. Unique so, challenges, um, and, and I keep saying, I've said it before, and I'll keep banging on about. You've got to go and see Hamo. It's worth the plane trip in alone <laughs> just to get yeah. there and see it. It's incredible. <laughs> it really is staggering, mate. Um, one final point, then knowing that okay, you've got improved bunkers, and that's probably been something that I know. I've spoken to with other people is the quality of bunkers. So now that's that's greatly improved over yes. the over the last few years since that was since that that little project's been completed. Um, yeah. We know some of the inherent challenges of, of a golf course at Hamo mm-hmm. and looking after it on such a unique site. Um, what are you you know the next twelve months? What looks ahead for you guys? You come out of COVID, you're pretty popular. It's hard to get a plane to Hamo. I've been looking, and, yeah. uh, <laughs> and it's hard. It's expensive. Um, not like it used to be. It's it's very popular again. So what sort of things are you looking for to to uh, to improve over the next sort of next 12 months looking forward or the next growing season to move it's, through it's um, it's a tough one because we're so busy at the moment it's getting hard to do a, to do lots of things on the course that we'd like to right your air evaders uh, ready to go pretty much <laughs> yep the air evaders ready to go and uh yeah looking forward to getting into the fairways um i would like to take a couple of greens sort of back out enlarge them um, okay some encroachment on a couple of greens yep so I look forward to doing that. Um, um, when we can get a little excavator over here, I'd like to do a little bit more drainage in a couple of low areas. Um, okay. And I've, I've, got, I've had on the radar for a couple of years um, is upgrading the irrigation system, getting okay. rid of the decoders and putting, say, a, a, the IC unit in. Yep. Um, so there's lots of things we'd like to do. It's just a sort of fitting them in and, and making them work. Yeah, sure. Um, Okay. I mean, even even buying Tiff Dwarf, that comes from the Sunshine Coast, so that has to be brought up, trucked up, potentially a refrigerated truck, and then I've got you know two barges to get it over to Dent as well <laughs> before it dies. So every um, every story you tell me about getting something there, I just laugh. I just can't. Mm. I cannot fathom how much effort is involved in getting anything to your golf course. It's staggering. Yeah. Yeah. It's staggering. But there's one last thing I, I thought of. So that's looking forward, which is, you know, they're, they're, they're the points that it's good to see that even as a mm. hammer, as a very different type of golf course to a, quite a different type of clientele, you're still yep. looking at the similar things that we all look for in improving is drainage, is irrigation, is, is uh, you know, right. the turf services. You're, you're continuously yep. trying to improve them and better them than what they have been. One mm-hmm. question I've got, and I didn't touch on it before, is your water source. You're surrounded by an incredible mm. landscape of salt water. How yep. do you, where do you get water from? And is it that potable water that you talked about being made? And I assume it's desal over on Hamilton. It's not. We have one lake on the, on the island. Ah. And uh, they raised the, say, the dam wall on the, on the lake and in, in, enlarged it. And that holds 250 meg. 
Okay. And That's most, <laughs> it is a lot. And when, if you're standing up on that fourth tee, you're looking at the, the sort of the front nine of the golf course. Um, most of that area all drains down into that lake. Wow. Okay. So it doesn't take a crazy amount of rain um, for that lake to fill up. So and you have a good during, wet season usually. We normally have a good wet season. Um, so out of you know my thirteen years, it's it's filled up or very close to it uh, ten or eleven times. We've only had two sort of scary years. Um, this year we thought was one of them. At the end of sort of February, the the end of our wet season, uh, the lake was only about half full, and I was starting to panic. But we had an amazingly wet um, April May this year. Right. Okay. Um, and it, it yeah it filled it up. So we're we're right as uh, that's we're right a, to go. That's awesome. Mm. So it's all that's just local runoff on your little all, island that you're on. That's it. Yep. And and that. Um, and that's enough, well and truly enough. We have to manage it and watch it, but yep. that's enough water to, to get us through to the next wet season, to get us through to the end of December. That's unreal. Um, mm, and um, when things get scary, what does the heart rate do? Oh, uh, look, it's... Because <laughs> it's I take it there's no backup for that. No, look, there isn't, because if, if I'm struggling for water, um, I mean, Hamilton Island would be as well, and they, they wouldn't want to be sending me a, a, a meg a day no. um, to put on the golf course. But it, it hasn't sort of come to that. They did supplement some, some of their irrigation water um, one year to me, um, but that didn't last uh, very long, and we got the rains that were, were needed. Yeah, right. So it, um, the rainfall is reasonably consistent enough for an expectation and a management yeah. perspective throughout the year that you know yes. that you know whilst it's going to go down, you're you're going to get some form of rain, even if it's across a two year period. Eventually, that yeah. that time you'll get it back up and and you'll be okay. Then yeah. we're right again. That's right. Wow. Yeah. Wow, mate, Brad. That uh, I've been on a journey. I've been I've been on a learning journey. That that is absolutely incredible information from the inside of Hamilton Island Golf Club, mate. It, it is an absolutely magnificent part of the country and a magnificent part of the world. And and your story of how you got to Hamo that in itself is uh, was great listening, mate. So uh, I thank, thank you, you for sharing. I really do. Mate, I thank you for sharing. That's my pleasure. It's it's, uh, uh, it's a wonderful yeah a wonderful place that I enjoy talking about it. And uh, you've you've been here and uh, yeah. You no, know, mate, you've it, been so you've been so generous with your time when I have been there. So I appreciate that, and I've seen some of the things. And and for any I'm, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna start posting some hammo photos. I missed it. It's been a couple COVID years. <laughs> we haven't. We're, the wife and I haven't been there. Now we're a child up, and we're uh, soon to have a second uh, child. <laughs> so it's uh, mate. It's uh, yeah. It's very exciting, but it, it means that it might be a little bit longer before we get back to hammo. But uh, we will get back there because we love it so dearly. And uh, mate, thank you for being on the podcast and and opening up somewhere that's that's quite unique very unique and quite special in Australian golf and uh, somewhere that we probably don't look at a lot because it's it's aimed as a more of a resort style golf course to a different clientele than than traditional golfers but I think I think every golfer needs to experience Hamo it's so spectacular on so many levels even if it is a very challenging golf course to get your way around you don't really yes. care how many how challenging it is and how many golf balls you lose you just want to keep hitting and, no. and go around again mate so brad thank Good you very you. much thank you for being so open about it and and hearing all those stories and certainly about your career mate it's uh, been quite a ride for you and and you sound like you're very much enjoying your time there at hammo 
Thanks very much, Steve, and enjoyed talking to you immensely. Look Wonderful. forward to catching up next time you're up here. Absolutely. Thank you, Brad. Cheers, mate. Bye. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. What a conversation that was. How much of a champion guy is Brad? Superintendent Brad Hull at Hamilton Island Golf Club. And what an incredible part of the world Hamilton Island Golf Club is. Tune in to my social media because I am going to put on there some of the images from the time that I've been there. Fortunately, able to have been there over the years gone by. And uh, as I mentioned, my wife and I, Brie, we have an absolute love affair with Hamilton Island in general. And the golf course is something spectacular that you really should put on your bucket list. Look, it's, it's, it's as good as going to anything in a different way, in its very own way, but it's absolutely spectacular a bucket list golf course like going to anywhere of the great courses around Australia in any other parts of the country and certainly some of the people that I've interviewed that work on them in as part of uh, as part of Colin Campbell Chemicals Keeper of the Green. So look guys, I hope you enjoyed that one. And one of the things I will mention, Brad uh, Brad did we did just talk a little bit after we recorded the podcast and he did say that he forgot to mention how good is it where he lives? He actually lives on a tucked away hidden house near a lighthouse on Dent Island just over the side of the uh, of the golf course which is you ca- you can't see it so from the golf course you wouldn't even know it was there he was telling me and uh, sensational stuff so it really is a unique part of the world Brad has an incredible job he does an incredible job with his team as you heard looking after Hamilton Island Golf Course. It is a spectacular place and I cannot stress that enough and if you are thinking about going there for a holiday or somewhere up north Queensland look you just it's something that you really need to make an effort to get to. It is such a spectacular golf course, and I don't know how else to say it other than that. And it, it's it's very different. It's very resort style, as you heard uh, heard Brad and I talk about, but it is something that you need to experience, and it is one of a kind, certainly in Australia and uh, even still in uh, in the world, in my opinion. So not that I'm a worldly traveler, as you also heard me say. But look, thank you to Brad. I appreciate Brad's insight. And I hope you did too, uh, opening up to all the things in the backgrounds of, of what makes Hamo tick, Hamilton Island Golf Club tick, and, uh, and the maintenance that goes on there on the golf course. And also, what a great story. Hasn't Brad been in some wonderful parts of the world in his career? He's been to some places that are no longer with us, like Laguna Keys, but also uh, some wonderful parts in Sanctuary Cove and over in Thailand and Indonesia as well, doing some work over there. Fantastic stuff. These are the, the things that you a career in greenkeeping. These are the places it can take you. It is incredible. I do love it. I've been part of it. And you've heard some wonderful stories from the people on the Keeper of the Green segment. So I hope you enjoyed that one just the same. And uh, please, look, please pass it around. Please like, share, subscribe is the thing. Go in there and, and subscribe. Click the subscribe button to the podcast. And uh, and look, I'm gonna, uh, there's going to be some new things happening soon with the Golfing Greenkeeper. So stay tuned to my socials. That's the Golfing Greenkeeper on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, and, uh, and also on LinkedIn because I've got some new things happening very soon. And uh, I hope to have you guys a little bit more engaged and a little bit more part of it along the way. And the podcast is obviously, it's a key part, but uh, there's going to be some more things and I can get some more info to you. The idea is to keep giving you some more information, more things to keep excited about show you the insides behind the scenes and all those types of things as well so look i love that and uh, we'll be coming to you very very soon so stay tuned and uh, hit that subscribe button please also give me a review on uh, on apple Podcasts if you're a pod uh, an apple podcast listener as well 
And don't forget about my wonderful sponsors of the Keeper of the Green segment, Colin Campbell Chemicals, and check out their website at campbellchemicals.com.au to see if they can help you with any of the turf solutions that you require for your golf course to help you out. Wonderful people. Nadim, as I've mentioned before, as you've heard on the podcast and you've heard with Campbell's Corner, is uh, sure and more than happy to help you out with whatever you need, and I'm sure that they've got products that can help you out no matter what you're looking for. Just go and check them out at campbellchemicals.com.au. Thank you very much, guys. As I always say, you hit them clean, we'll keep them green, and I'll catch up with you very soon. 